Hi, this is Mark and welcome to episode 50 of Nerdology. And with me today, I have the lovely Lindsay. Hello. And the equally lovely Eric. Thank you. Uh, Yes, I am equally lovely. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of painted myself into a corner there. I'm thinking, hmm. Yeah, you did. You don't want to be sexist. No, of course not. Of course. What's wrong with being sexy? (laughs) Sorry, if you haven't seen Spinal Tap, then that won't mean anything to you. But anyway. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on, guys. Uh, We are going to have a little chat about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yay! Now, Lindsay, this is kind of your fault, really, because you sparked <laughs> this all off. Because on Twitter, you've been—it's been like a little personal journey for you, hasn't it? You've been uh, rewatching pretty much all of it. Yeah. So I, my my journey with Buffy has been a bit interesting. So I remember it being around when I was a teenager, um, mostly because mm. it sat in the same slot that Star Trek often did on a weekday evening. Right on BBC Two. Um, so it would mm-hmm. be that 6 or 6.45, so it, it might be on after TNG, or if there wasn't any mm-hmm. Star Trek, maybe you would get Buffy instead. But I didn't really ever watch mm-hmm. a lot of it. Um, and when I did, I dropped in and out at really odd times. Like, I must have caught the end of season five, and I remember being really perplexed that the same character kept dying, and that wasn't really <laughs> a big deal. Um so yeah, my and my my friends were really into it because they loved Angel. They loved Angel. Everybody loved Angel, and I was like, I don't get mm. it. I just don't get it. <laughs> uh, so anyway, many many moons later, when I was a grown up and I lived in a flat of my own, I bought the entire seven seasons on DVD because that was a thing we used mm-hmm. to do. Um, Physical media. Do you remember that, guys? Yeah, I know. Um, and I watched it and I loved it. And it took me about four episodes to realise that my problem was that Giles I found far more interesting and attractive than Angel had ever been. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there began my <laughs> long love affair with uh, Anthony Stewart Head. Um, so yeah, I've watched it several times, but this recent one was mm-hmm. kind of very much a... Before all of this nonsense started, I'd started watching it, but it was a bit of a yeah. kind of, this is my comfy old Quite jumper. Quite timely, really, wasn't it? Yeah, well, you'd say that. I've kind Quite of, a nice distraction. I've kind of not really managed to find much time for it recently. Oh, well. It's it's funny, I've, I've devolved much further back uh, in my watching mm-hmm. habits. But, you know, the, so the thread started just as a kind of bit of nonsense. Um, and I've kind of tied myself into it now because pretty much every episode I've said something. Um, and I'm about midway through season five now, I think. So I've had to jump a, he- a bit ahead to capture all the in- uh, episodes for this evening. But uh, yeah. Excellent. Well, Eric, how about yourself? What's your um, relationship with Buffy, I, so to speak? I was aware of Buffy as it was airing because I'm a bit older. Um, and so I was at, I was in college, uh, university, mm-hmm. when... When Buffy was doing season five, and I went to some friends and saw my first episode, and I can look at it here on Wikipedia, September 26th, the year 2000, I was beginning of my senior year, and it was beginning of season wow. five, it was Buffy versus Dracula, uh, um, okay, which yeah. is not a classic episode, 
but it was really hyped over the summer and so my friends like had a watching party and it was like oh dracula's gonna be and i kind of knew of the show because mm-hmm. one knows of things and the if you haven't seen it in a while that's the episode that ends with dawn just suddenly being there yeah i did happen to because we made we came up with a little sort of a list of Mm. what we felt were key episodes to have a look at before we started to have a very subjective list just so people (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, absolutely well that's that's what it's all about isn't it um but once i'd gone through those i did find time to watch one more and as i was scrolling through i thought oh buffy versus dracula (laughs) oh you (laughs) personal it's one of it's arguably one of the worst episodes of the show it is yeah you know it is what it is. Yeah, and and but it, but it ends with this really crazy reveal of Buffy's sister Dawn, who had never existed before, and mm. um and I was sort of vaguely aware. I'm like Buffy doesn't have a sister, and my friends around me were just screaming and freaking <laughs> out. And this is that night was when I learned the motto that I don't think has much currency now, but used to have a lot, mm-hmm. which was "In Joss we trust." Yeah, like. The fans trusted Joss Whedon's vision for his show so strongly that even making up a younger sister in season five did not seem outside the realm of what could be done. So, um, well, there's a very obvious comparison to draw here because they're kind of known as the Scooby Gang. There was a real danger that mm-hmm. she could have been the Scrappy Doo <laughs> yeah. of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, and it, and tons of awful eighty sitcoms in America when you know when the characters were sort of aging out of being young and cute would bring in you know adopted cousins and things like that mm. um but it ended up being obviously being a tremendously powerful and important part of the show for the rest of its run um but i'm and that was sort of it and then um i kind of saw episodes here and there um i did not watch the finale as it aired because it was opposite american idol season two finale which i remember distinctly mm-hmm. making that choice to watch american idol instead um, but then uh, that dates things somewhat, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, oh, re- I mean, it really does. It went off the air again, uh, May twentieth, mm. two thousand three, seventeen okay. years ago. Shh, mm. we don't talk about things like that. How to make everyone feel old? <laughs> so to gloss over that, I just want to pick up on something that you said, Eric, there about because mm. um, that reveal was insane. Like it was just insane. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, <laughs> even as somebody who came to it later. Hmm. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, right. Okay, that's a bit left field. Um, But it's just an example of what Joss does incredibly well in Buffy because there are a couple of moments where he just throws you for an absolute loop. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's an incredible episode that I can't remember the name of off the top of my head and we didn't include it on our list and I almost did. And it's an episode where the entire time Buffy is thrown between two realities, one of which is when she is in a mental institution of some description, where she is being treated for the fact that she has this delusion that she is a a vampire slayer. Um, And the fight between which is the reality, and it's just so well done. And that, for me, is like the the key marker of this. the other example we do we did include, which was like the wish, where they just give you an alternative reality that has such value that you're willing to buy into that as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and they do it. I mean, there's other episodes that I quite like that I didn't include in my in my selections, but things like uh, Superstar, where the yes. episode begins and suddenly Jonathan is the this guy we don't know is the most popular boy in town and like has a mansion on the hill and everyone goes to him like he's a a mafia don for advice about things. And the great joy of that one is the fact that it's it's he we don't know him in the way that he is known in Superstar, but he has been in the series. Like yeah. he's just this low level appearance who like occasionally knock rocks up and like bumps into somebody in a corridor or like you know mm-hmm. and it's just done really really lo- uh, really well. Um, yeah, and there's tons of those sort of twists and reveals and playing with expectations throughout the show's run. Um and so when it finally um actually my my housemate at the time ended up buying all the seasons on DVD and we watched them all um more than once through, I'm sure. Um, plus we also, like it would show in syndication. So would, you know, I kind of got a sense of, I think it was Saturday afternoons at like five or something, they would put an episode of Buffy on. Um, Mm -hmm. and it kind of, when it, when I was around, it kind of became a habit to just watch whatever they were showing. But I've seen now the entire show at least three times through, probably more and selected episodes significantly more than that. I came to it fairly late. Um, I was in a house share with friends during the sort of, late 90s early 2000s and a couple of the guys were obsessed with it so you couldn't really escape it but i wasn't really that drawn to it it's probably just me being really contrary and wanting to be different from everyone else but my wife is a big fan of buffy and she encouraged me to watch it so yeah i've i've not watched every single episode so i'm not a hardcore fan but what i have seen i really enjoyed i think what I hadn't expected was the level of humour. Mm. I thought it would be very earnest and a bit oh, taking itself a bit no. too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, and so that was a big and very pleasant surprise. But again, that's one of the lovely ways it turns itself on its head because just occasionally you go from a little bit Scooby-Doo um, into something incredibly serious and poignant or just there are just lovely moments between characters where you suddenly realise that when you take away the humour, the, the relationships are still there. Um, and again, mm-hmm. the, the probably the most classic episode of that, uh, is, or uh, instance of that, is an episode that I did pick, which is The Body. Mm. Yeah. Which is just so different from pretty much every other episode mm. that I think it, it's just it's remarkable that it still sits so well within the show. I can imagine it must have really been quite a a talked about episode when it went out because it really the whole tone of it and the way they play it out is really well done and quite not really what you'd expect from from Buffy I found anyway yeah absolutely I don't know how you want to shape the conversation sir um so we can come back to this (laughs) crack on yeah we can we can meander around let's just pick an episode and talk about yeah no the body is Mm. I think for me, I'm very aware that I've only ever seen it as a binge. Mm-hmm. So I saw it straight, like f- follow, like as part of the arc. In context. As it, and in yeah. context. Mm. I cannot imagine what it would have been like tuning in to see an episode of Buffy and getting that. Um, mm. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching and it's unsettling in a very different way to something like Hush, which we'll also talk about, um, because mm. it's the lack of music. It's the quiet... It's the reality it's the of it, isn't it? the absolute fundamental reality of it. And, like, I have never been in that situation. Mm. 
and I hope Touchwood it's a number of years until I might ever have to deal with the, yeah. the death of an immediate loved one but I mm. was there with them and I felt that like I felt I I totally bought Buffy's disbelief and her disconnection and you know even Giles is coming in and clearly wanting to be the grown up but struggling and Mm-hmm. Um and Willow, uh, Alison Hannigan, her her mm-hmm. acting yeah. is just in fact all of the Scoobies as they stand in the room and there's all that conversation about what what she should wear, it's just so believable mm-hmm. because even now when something like that yeah. happens you are frozen and caught in what is the precisely it's yeah. just it feels so real and to mm. put that in the middle of uh, a very packed season about all sorts of crazy hell goddesses and sisters that are in fact keys is it's 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 yeah i think it's some of the best television there is yeah the body is is fantastic it is not fun no. <laughs> um which is which, no. which makes it very different from almost all the rest of buffy as you were saying mark there's a tremendous amount of humor mm-hmm. throughout the series it is it is a joss yeah. whedon joint and that's sort mm-hmm. of his thing um but the body is is staggering um and and when you i've i've i didn't watch it as it aired but i did i have seen it like sort of just as the one that was airing this week on syndication and it's it you don't want to watch it (laughs) sort of when you realize oh they're showing the body this week i don't know if i want to deal with that right now i think actually in the middle of a binge when you know there's another episode immediately after it is maybe a safer way to handle it um Mm -hmm. and especially when you come to it having you know, Joyce has never, uh, Christine Sutherland, who plays Joyce, Buffy's mother, has never been, she was never a full-time cast member, but she was around mm. all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and seeing how all of these characters we loved react to the loss of another character we loved and who we kind of just assumed was always safe because she was Buffy's mom. Um, yeah. Joss has this tendency to sort of kill the character you assume will, of course, be safe. The fact that he still surprises us with it is sort of shocking, but he mm. does. Whether it's Agent Coulson and the Avengers, um, or I won't say who it is in Firefly because people still get upset about that spoiler 20 years later. Um, oh, don't get Lindsay started on Firefly. Oh, dear. I've never uh, seen it. I just know who dies. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> I'm not starting that argument. Uh, Lindsay and I share a very unpopular opinion yes, about Firefly. Which is just to say that I feel it is slightly overrated. Um. Yeah. It's not our cup of tea. Uh, yeah, Let's I think just put so. it that way. I've never watched it yeah, for a I reason, think, so you know I don't. It think also I falls disagree. into an interesting category of mm-hmm. things where if there had been more of it, I suspect it wouldn't be quite so lauded. I think it's almost the thing it mm-hmm. is because it was cut off mm-hmm. in what was perceived to be its prime. Anyway, moving swiftly on from that controversial bombshell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back to the subject in hand. But I wanted the thing I wanted to get at in the body is. Um, is I think the the best moment is Anya, Anya's reaction. Yeah. Which this is the first time since she's become human again because Anya is a thousands of year a thousand year old mm-hmm. demon um, who was a young Viking woman and then became a demon and now is a woman again. And it's the first time she's encountered the death of someone she like knows personally. And essentially, I forget the exact quote because this is not one of the ones I rewatched, but I know it well. And she says something along the lines of. Why do people die? Why can't die? she just wake up? Or why can't she? It's yeah. it's it is a child. It is a mm, child yeah. reacting to death. 
And at first they're sort of annoyed at her because Anya is very sort of literal minded and Mm -hmm. obtuse about things sometimes. And she's like, Joyce was nice. She was good. Why, why is she dead now? And it's, it's, it's not that she's too dumb to understand. It's that she's appalled at the pointlessness and mercilessness of sort of death itself. Mm -hmm. That it would come for this nice, good woman when there are so many awful people and creatures in the world. It's really, it's devastating. I think it also, you know, Buffy has already seen death. There is death every week in Buffy. Like, and that's, it's one of the things that's Mm -hmm. always quite interesting is that, you know, students go missing and there's always corpses because there have to be vampires. And like, it's the nature of the show that there is always something going on. But... This is different and it marks itself out as different and it feels different and in some ways it sets you up for what happens at the end of season five because it shows you that Mm -hmm. death is not always a throwaway because at the end of season five for anybody who's struggling to keep track um, is when Buffy dies for the second time (laughs) (laughs) but this time it's more serious and it sticks for a little longer Um. And that is, the way that they then handle that going forward is in its own turn, wonderful and fascinating. Which brings us in an interestingly circuitous route to Once More with Feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Uh, I wonder when we'd be coming to this. My wife chose my, because we chose three episodes each. We thought we'd throw into the pot. My wife chose mine for me because she's the Buffy fan, really. So I figured she would know her stuff. She was very kind. She chose not to pick once more with feeling. Mm. Someone else, on the other hand, I, did, I, I am, I, you know, whether you like it or not, <laughs> it is, it is a landmark in this series. I um, actually found it really entertaining. It, I love it. I think it's I wasn't expecting to like it. If, if Eric yeah. hadn't picked it, I would have. I kind of hung off to the end and waited until other people <laughs> had taken the ones that I thought. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't might expect get. to like it, but I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and it, I mean, like it's sort of it is it is astounding that it's a completely original musical. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Written by Joss Whedon, words and music, um, and he did it all on. Not much more than the usual schedule. He did go over somewhat, but he kind of kept it in roughly in the same sort of time frame. And Mm -hmm. it was the first of what became a sort of plague of shows doing random musical episodes with no justification. Mm -hmm. Whereas Joss is very deliberate about the musical being a metaphor. Yeah. It's it's not let's have a musical because I like musical, although Joss loves musicals and that's why he did it. Mm -hmm. But he was thinking... How can I do this? How can I do this thing I want to do having a musical episode and have it be realistic in the Buffy universe and have it do something? And so what do songs or musicals, they they occur when people have emotions they can't express otherwise. And the way mm-hmm. that it is placed in the season is just mm. phenomenal because you've had the resurrection, you've had or you've had Giles leave and come back again. Like there's there's all this stuff going on. Willow is on her descent into Dark Willow. Uh, Buffy is not really coping, but hasn't told any of them that one of the reasons why she's not coping is because they didn't save her from hell. They did, in fact, save her from heaven. Um, and you get all of that in a Disney musical. Because it feels <laughs> like that opening in particular is classic Disney musical. Yeah. Like the moment where she. I've got to say, the cast, their singing's incredible. 
Well, they have yeah, they have varying degrees of talent, who... but yes. <laughs> yes, bless her, bless her, Alison Hannigan, not a singer. No, um, but you know what? She gives it a go, and that's that's it. But like even um, Sarah Michelle Gellar, mm-hmm. she's clearly not a confident singer. Like mm. she doesn't have uh, she doesn't have a, a voice that speaks to experience and to training. But it's it's pretty sound. Um, and she and she was willing to do it, and for me, that's half the battle, and none of it is unpleasant to listen to. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it works incredibly well. But the way that they play with the what it is in terms of a musical, like the the opening number, and she stakes someone and then appears through the the smoke, mm-hmm. is straight out of like you know, oh, the opening to Beauty and the Beast or something. Like it, it feels so much like I'm the protagonist in this Disney story, and here I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's but great. he he certainly it. is going on the the Disney musicals, but Joss is. Joss is like a Broadman musical guy. Like he's old school musical, like his entire family is, which is a whole, mm-hmm. a whole weird, interesting thing about his family. Um, and so, yeah, the, the sort of opening song is very much the sort of Disney I want song. But then later songs become, you know, um, Walk Through the Fire is sort of this almost Les Mis kind of combination of various vocal lines doing all these things. The final song is sort of like a pop pastiche or the final big song is sort of like a pop past. He's doing a bunch of different kinds of things. There's a rock song in there. Yeah, switching and up the genres consistently. musical thing of take two themes and put them together and all of a sudden you've got a beautiful duet about two different storylines that are kind of merging into one. And, mm-hmm. and that moment where um, Tara, again, I'm really sorry, I have no idea what the actress's name is. That's there we go, Amber Benson. Amber Benson. Amber Benson and Anthony Stewart, Anthony Stewart Head are singing, and they are clearly two of the more confident singers. It's just mm-hmm. beautiful, and it helps that those are two mm-hmm. plot lines that I really enjoy. And once you've seen it once, you know where that all ends up. You know that Willow does descend into the dark because of what happens to Tara, and you know that Giles, who has gone back to England, has to come back, and that you get a confrontation between this. Yeah. And um, the you know leaving to try and save Buffy, but not really saving mm. Buffy, and then coming back to try and fix various things, and it's just it's life and it's complicated, and it happens in amongst all of these incredible fantastical things, and it still feels believable. And there is one of my one of my favorite elements about Once More My Feeling, oddly enough, is not from it, but it's from the following season. Where there is an episode where, after Don, uh, Anya has become a demon again, where Buffy has to go and kill her, and mm-hmm. as she essentially stabs Anya with a giant sword through the wall, and uh, we've been seeing flashbacks to Anya's life, and one of the flashbacks we see is actually her flashing back to like the musical episode essentially, and they they squeeze another song in for Anya, and it's really mm-hmm. lovely, and it sort of reminds you that these people have lived this crazy experience where they were all in a musical and then they kind of the next day have to go back to work, yes. which I kind of and love. And like the way that they all react uh, and they're like, yeah, so, uh, yeah, did uh, anything, you know, last night, anything? Oh, like just the way that it, nobody really wants to come out and say it, but it becomes mm-hmm. clear that everybody has had this experience. Until Dawn arrives, she's like, you'll never guess what happened. Yeah, Buffy says In true teenage girl mm-hmm. style. But no, it's it's one of my favorite episodes because it I think it's a really 
excellent illustration of the audacity of the show and how bold and creative it could be. Um, I think the songs are hella catchy mm. and a lot of fun. Um, but it also is still very funny, but it's also deeply resonant and sort of, I think it's one of the best of the sort of everything's going to hell, which is what season six is. Everything goes to hell in season six. That's sort of the overarching vibe. The big yeah, bad absolutely. is life, as I say. Um, does sound a little bit like they wrote that especially for you, Eric. <laughs> well, Joss Whedon and I have many similarities in, in some ways and some very big differences. Um, mm. But he, yeah, he had, and then he, if you've ever seen Dr. Horrible, which was a big thing, obviously, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. It was a weird internet musical. Uh-huh. He did a commentary on it that was also a musical. Like, this man likes writing musicals. I love it. <laughs> oh, dear. I love how they kind of change up the characters as well. They all get sort of different moments to shine um i think it was we watched one called band candy mm-hmm. and it's that kind of classic role reversal so they eat this cursed candy mm-hmm. so then buffy becomes the sort of wimpy heroine uh, who needs saving and no Alexander no that's halloween really super macho oh that's halloween Oh, it's Halloween. Oh, but you, you've you've completed the two Ethan Rain stories. So, like, Halloween, that you're talking it's all about, about yeah. uh, they become the characters that they have, uh, the costumes that they are wearing uh, depict. Um, and Ethan Rain sold them the costumes. Oh, that's right. Except for Cordelia, who bought her costume somewhere else and mm. does not, in fact, become a cat. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, it's got. It has one of my favourite moments that has produced one of the greatest gifts that I lo- enjoy using a great deal, which is when uh, Willow, who dresses as a, as a prostitute, because this is a chance to to be somebody you're not, at Buffy's insistence that she try and like push the boundaries, um, but then freaks out and puts her ghost costume over the top of it, uh, then becomes a ghost prostitute. <laughs> and at one point, walks through a wall and just about kills Giles, which cracks me up. <laughs> So yes, uh, you're right that Buffy becomes sort of a, oh, I don't know, a French... She becomes a, a sort of a Regency era damsel in distress because at this point she's trying to to woo Angel, essentially, and she thinks yeah. if I become the kind of woman Angel grew up with, he'll he'll like me. And so he that's the costume she picks and then it ends up having this effect. And of, of course, in the end, Angel likes her for her because... Because she's different from all those yeah, girls. Exactly. Um, and then Band Candy is sort of the return of Ethan Rain, who is this old friend of Giles back when Giles was called Ripper and was dabbling in black yeah. magic for fun and whatnot before he reformed. And in this, the Band Candy essentially causes people to regress to teenagehood. And so Giles and Joyce, who is still alive yes. at this point, <laughs> go off and, and, and yeah. have sex in the back of a car or something. and On the hood mm-hmm. of the police car, I think you'll find. Well, I, I don't know if they have sex there, but they certainly have sex and they're making out on the hood of the police car and things. And it's They are. They are. Um, and it's all very... Uh, he, 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 yeah, it's the white t-shirt and jeans and the, the cigarette uh, box tucked into the sleeve. And yeah, yeah, it's very... It's, and it's, the poor principal as well, he's... It's really well done, I think. And it gives, it gives, I think, the adult characters who are perhaps traditionally a little bit more constrained, mm-hmm. um, it gives the, uh, the actors playing them a bit more freedom to kind of breathe into a different side of their character. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's done really well. And it's good fun. Like, I think for me, some of my favourite Buffy episodes are just a bit of a romp. Yeah, there seems to... If they kind of fall into a couple of categories. You have the sort of monster of the week episodes and then you have these arc episodes, which I think, from my experience, seem to become more prevalent as the, the show progresses. Um, and I must be honest, maybe I'm just really shallow, but I really love the Monster of the Week episodes. Yeah. I think that's There's fine. those at the start, I think. But yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think as the show got older and denser, they they did feel the need, I think, to, to put in more of the arc episodes or to have more episodes that at least mm-hmm. featured the arc. Um, yeah. But even in season seven, there are plenty of sort of one-off Monster of the Weeky kind of vibey episodes that are sort of isolated from the larger storyline. Um, and I would argue Buffy does the best Monster of the Week of any sort of Monster of the Weeky kind of show. Um, mm-hmm. It never gets so lost inside its own mythology, <coughs> X-Files, that it, ca- <laughs> that it can't pull back and do something, you know, that's just fun or interesting or different. Because, um, like, you know, yeah, it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but there are episodes about every kind of monster you can imagine, including the worst monster of all, the human monster. Yeah, and I, for me, the the key thing is that it acknowledges itself some of its own tropes, and I enjoy that. So, like, occasionally they'll be like, you know, you get the donuts, and I do the research, and Buffy goes and stakes the thing. Like, that's what it is. Um, and they acknowledge that, that, you know, this is what happens. Like, you know, Xander says something funny, Giles translates something, and, you know, it all turns out all right in the end. And then they use that as a kind of pivot because, you know, either Buffy's not there or, you know, Giles isn't there or like, you know, there's, they play with it, but they acknowledge that this is what happens and, you know, this is what mm. they are. and They're quite playful with it. Mm. Yeah. And the fact that they can be playful with it in a context where they have created a mythology whereby there are, you know, there is a slayer. And there is a line of slayers and there is a watcher's council that looks after the slayers and yet they still, yeah, they play with it and they, they don't take themselves too seriously with the kind of concept, I think, which it's in its favour. Eric, if you had to pick out your personal favourite, not necessarily one to introduce someone to the show, but just one that you feel you can go back to again and again and it always gives you that little bit more each time you watch. It's chosen. It's the finale. Um, I don't think mm. any show has ever nailed the landing landing as well as Buffy did. Um, I'm sure there are people who disagree because in Buffy fandom, people disagree about everything. Um, <laughs> we haven't even touched on that's the so unusual in fact. No, seriously, no, the Buffy Wars <laughs> were real. Like I have friends who are veterans of the Buffy Wars, and it got nasty, especially on places like Live Journal and stuff. It was very oh, the the Angel people versus the Spike people. And oh. it was, yeah, and they're all wrong Ooh. because everybody Buffy goes out with is awful. I'm actually <laughs> kind of okay with Riley in some ways um, until they murder his character. But anyway, but Chosen, the finale, um, mm. which after, you know, seven years of sort of doing all these storylines sort of remembers what the show was meant to be about in the first place, which was Joss had this idea of inverting the old idea of the the pretty blonde girl walking down an alley or into a dark house and getting killed by a monster. And he thought, mm-hmm. what if the girl kills the monster? What if? Well, that was such a big thing back in the day when it first came mm. along because there weren't that many sort of female role models 
who played sort of kick-ass characters. Mm-mm. They were generally sort of there to be rescued. But I, I thought that was so refreshing to see something like that come along. So that was, I think, quite a unique selling point. Oh, it was in 1997 when the show debuted. Like, yeah. It's completely new. Um, and even now, it's still not done nearly enough. No, um, and I think we have to acknowledge that what we do have now, we wouldn't necessarily have had if Joss Whedon mm-hmm. had not done what he did with Buffy. Oh, I say we wouldn't have had it. I don't think it's not... not it's, I think it's definite we wouldn't have had it. If, if he hadn't shown that it could be done um, and done well with Buffy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, but I like the fact that in the... You know, I like finales that are about sort of circling back to beginnings in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and Chosen circles back to the beginning, both thematically with it being about this girl and female power and her relationship to her power and what she chooses mm-hmm. to do with it. Um, but it also chooses the circles back to like the four, you know, the core yeah. four, uh, Giles, Xander, Willow and Buffy. Other people are there and we see them, but like there's a great moment where they're sort of off to save the world and they're talking about like going to the mall tomorrow and the sort of Giles rubs feels his glasses. So beautifully mm-hmm. season one and two. Yeah. And for me, that and you know, the Earth's definitely doomed moment that that <laughs> kind of pulls the season in from both ends is just beautifully done. So when I so obviously I had to skip ahead of my rewatch to to watch this. Um, mm-hmm. I was so shocked that it was a single episode. Yeah. Because <laughs> it does. Everything that... Because obviously it has been an arc and there's been build-up, but the amount that is packed into a 40, 45-minute episode at the end yeah. is insane. There is no way that any show would do that now, I don't think. It would mm. be at least a two-parter. Yeah. Um, and actually, I don't know that it needs it. Like, I would have loved more follow-through, and I know there's a comic series, and I've kind of dipped in and out of that, but I don't love it. Um, Like, I I always want more follow-through. I always want people's wounds being tended and the emotional fallout of whatever. But I understand that that's not necessarily what you need, because otherwise you end up with the end of The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, which goes Mm -hmm. on for Mm -hmm. 17 hours and ends about eight (laughs) times before it does, in fact, actually end. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's it's beautifully done. I had forgotten just how well. Yeah, and and the the moment that will always give me chills is you see sort of Buffy revealing her plan, or you see her about to, and then it cuts to other things. And then when the plan kicks into effect, which is Willow channeling essentially the feminine power of the Slayer through some weapon MacGuffin that we just discovered, um, and essentially every potential Slayer, all the girls in the world who would possibly be called to be the Slayer if if Buffy or Faith, the other Slayer who we haven't really talked about much, uh, die, they all become Slayers. And Buffy has a speech. It's like, every girl who can stand up will stand up. And yeah, it's a dude and it's kind of mansplaining whatever, but it's still so powerful to see a show that says, yeah, we've done all this other stuff, but the important stuff is that women are amazing and we should recognize that <laughs> and we should do everything we can to encourage them to stand up and take their rightful place. Um, Even hearing you speak about that gives me chills because that moment is just phenomenal. And given when it was mm-hmm. made and the constraints of TV budgets, the graphics are not awful uh, when you have all these girls facing all these um, 
bringers or whatever they are. Um, but mm, then you get yeah. this cutting of just girls and women all across the globe, or mm-hmm. ostensibly all across the globe, suddenly being filled with this power and this surety that comes with power. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, genuinely, I'm, like, teary-eyed. Cause, and you know what? It's a bit hashy. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's not deeply subtle, but it... It's just phenomenal. No, not at all subtle. Like, it's not. It's not <laughs> subtle. I'm sure. I'm sure other people have done similar things in more tasteful ways. But it got me, and it still gets me now. But when I think about when it was made, I just yeah. Which I suppose is why people get so frustrated when Joss Whedon lets them down now, because mm-hmm. like many creators who have done something incredibly well that has meant so much to so many people. It's almost impossible for them to live up to it. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah. not the only one who has that problem by any stretch of the imagination. <coughs> oh, no, 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 yeah. <coughs> and, <coughs> yeah, and even when the show was on, when he left running it full-time after season five to go off and work on Angel and Firefly and stuff, and, like, the shows suffer to, to what degree sort of everyone disagrees, but there is a noticeable mark of decline when he's sort of not running things day-to-day. And when he comes back to do episodes of Buffy, they're always, or they're usually among the best in season. He wrote Once More Feeling, he wrote Chosen. Um, Mm -hmm. And so even when the show was airing, there was, you know, grumble, grumble, grumble. But then he he still shows at sort of the very end that he knows the show he created and why we loved it in the first place. And he, he hasn't forgotten that. And a lot of showrunners kind of do forget that after seven years. Absolutely. So And interestingly for me, the, the difference, so apart from the fact that I was never a great fan of Angel as a character, for me the real difference between Buffy and Angel as shows is that you always knew what Buffy was about. Mm -hmm. And I never really understood what Angel was about. Not that, Mm -hmm. like, the actual show, there was not, there wasn't the same overriding message. The they just lacked the clarity of vision, I think, that we had. Because like, there are one or two bits of, of Angel that are stunning. And, you know, I love the, the characters that they pull through from from Buffy. I think it works really nicely. Um, like, Wesley Wyndham Price. Like, Wesley is a car crash in Buffy, and that's kind of the joy of him. Mm-hmm. But he he grows and develops in, in Angel and becomes something else. And then there is the betrayal. And it's done so well but it everything just sort of falls apart at various stages and then occasionally you'll get a peak and it just uh, whereas with me Buffy feels much more consistent yeah I think I think they had an idea for Angel and then they realized it wasn't quite working or they didn't quite love it which was sort of like LA supernatural noir yeah um, and mm-hmm. they kind of a bit and like by the time in season three or whatever it's where they're in the fantasy kingdom for an uh, entire like uh, and it's like, what are you doing going to fantasy dimension? No, get back to the grime, whatever. And and that's, yeah, I think you're right. Angel has great moments scattered throughout. Um, but Buffy does tell one story, by and large. Like, there's not a single episode except for Anne, which we haven't really talked much about, What is, which is set in L.A. They're all set in Sunnydale. They're all set with these people, their lives, their stories. Um, and that coherence and sort of consistency um and i think that's what makes some of the stuff in season six especially very controversial is i think people felt they that the writers marty Knoxon, who took over showrunner when joss 
left and was doing stuff with Joss's approval. It's not like she was doing it behind his back, for God's sakes. Um, pushed the show in directions that some fans really didn't like. And so especially fans who liked the Angel stuff in season one through three, they kind of rebelled yeah. as the show And I think for, for, went there, on. for me, there's, mm-hmm. it's more, there's more than that. There's always more than that. There's always other stuff going on. So I know that Anthony's shirt mm-hmm. head was like, I actually don't want to live in LA all the time. Like I'd quite like to go home once yeah. in a blue moon. So I know that he was keen to be written out. And to a certain extent, it gets to a point whereby it's like all of these great stories whereby Gandalf has to die and Dumbledore has to die because you need to take the training wheels off. Um, so your protagonist has has to step up to the mark. So for mm-hmm. me, I struggle a bit with season six because Giles is like my favourite character and he's just not really there that much. Um, and he's no. not really there that much mm-hmm. in season seven either. Um, and, but I understand that that was an actor thing as opposed to a writer thing, or at least partly. Um, so you have to take all of these kind of things on the chin. And for me, and I'm sure I have said this to to you before, Mark, that a great series mm-hmm. is something that takes you on a journey with characters that you love, that sees them torn apart, brought together. And when you get to the end, they're changed. But what you really want to do when you get to the end is just go back to the beginning and do it all again. Mm-hmm. And for me, yeah. I get to the end of Buffy and it's heartrending and they have been through the mill. And actually, I kind of just want to go back to season one when they're all in high school. Um, <laughs> and I want that levity and that jollity. And I almost think, so in the same way that Lemes kind of almost buy themselves a standing ovation because of the shape of the musical, Joss Sweden has almost created that artificially by giving us such a great reminder of the very beginning at the very end because you do you get that moment mm-hmm. where they're standing around talking about whether they're going to go to the mall and well we've destroyed the mall what are you going to do now then and like it just it just reminds me how much i want to go back to that stuff yeah we're talking of the the early seasons mm. um there was only really one thing that i didn't appreciate quite so much mm. and may, maybe I'm because I'm not a super fan I don't quite understand it or uh, perhaps don't appreciate it as much <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm just going to throw a name in here um, uh, Drusilla uh, <laughs> what uh, is going on she is like a vampire <laughs> Dick Van Dyke sure that is uh, Juliet Landau. Uh, she's Martin Landau's yes. daughter. Um, I thought she much, is in yeah. no way British, as you can tell from the accent. Um, no, I don't think we have at least a lot in the watch we'd watch where you unfortunately have to watch David Boreanaz do oh, his terrible oh. fake Irish so this, accent, which ooh, is brutally oh, yeah, bad. Actually, that was so that there's some was stuff bad, in becoming, yeah. um, which I put on the list. So, oh yeah, there is a bit in becoming. Like, I and James Masters just about he, treads he, that line. Yeah, James Masters it's just not, about pulls it off. Bad. It gets better as he goes on yeah. as well. He, he gets more practice. Yeah, I'd it. agree. Uh, but yeah, Juliet mm. Landau is sort of, she's doing a thing. Um, and I mm-hmm. I love Drusilla as a character. I love uh, her performance. I would never profess that the accent is good by any means. Um, I think if they just let her do her own accent, I don't think I would really have had an issue with it. But it just really pulls you out of it. And you're like, oh. The thing is, it doesn't if no. you're American, though. And the same no, way that, like, the bad American accents in Dalek and Doctor Who don't pull you out, but they pull me out. 
Like they're bad. <laughs> they're all bad in that story. And I will never come down off that hill. And so you kind of have to go like, well, fine. <laughs> they, they didn't, they, they liked this actress and or this is her accent. And so they're I, with it. Um, yeah, I don't have a problem with her. It's, it's a just, bit much yeah, sometimes, isn't it? it? Was, not, no, it's it's it not good. An unusual choice. And, it's not uh, good. So one of the mm. things that has come up in my thread is that I just hate the flashbacks. I hate the flashbacks. The flashbacks are awful. They're just the accents are awful. The sets are awful. They're just mm. clunky. I don't even think they're <laughs> that well written. I just don't like them. That's just a personal opinion. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because I chose becoming because I think it's. It's such a crucial moment in Buffy's development as a character. Um, so she's had mm. this on a, she's had this uh, relationship with Angel that's all been already been very intense and very stressful because he's brooding and she's supposed to kill him, but he has a soul and it's all ah, ah, ah. Um, and then they have sex, um, which to be fair. <laughs> When I yeah, when did. it was airing, I'm pretty sure that was quite controversial to me because she was still in high school and he was like really old. Um, <laughs> I was young <laughs> and innocent and obviously meh. Anyway, um, so they have sex and he loses his soul because he has a one he has one moment of true true pat or true euphoria or whatever it is happiness. true happiness. Yeah, true they happiness. needed like they should have mm. used the word euphoria, I think, because happiness seems like a very odd word. But anyway, he gets too happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and and they play with that a lot in Angel, yeah. which is, I think is dumb. Yeah. Anyway, so he yeah. uh, he gets his one moment of true happiness, aka an orgasm, and uh, yeah, he loses his soul and becomes Angelus. And actually, for as much as I don't enjoy Angel, I love Angelus. I think David Borealis plays him really well. I think he's a much more interesting character, which is, it shouldn't be the case because an angel with a soul is an interesting concept. And I, um, anybody mm-hmm. who who knows me, uh, I have a hashtag that I use less frequently these days, but I have a hashtag that's angsty happy dance because I just love angst, really. Like, angstiness is like, it makes me happy. So I should love Angel, but I just don't. Um, so Angelus comes up and he's excellent and evil and he's very good at being evil. So he um, he puts Buffy and the rest of the Scoobies a bit through the ringer, including uh, killing Giles's significant other in his bed and leaving her for him to find. Yeah. Um, and it's all very tense. And it's the first time we really go through that proper extent of that emotional, drawn-out angst that is Buffy's love life. Um, please note my mm-hmm. previous statement that nobody Buffy dates or wants to date is worthy of anything, really. Um, she just <laughs> has the world's worst choice in men. I, I just can't get over it, how bad her choice in men is. Uh, or at least her timing and her choice in men. Yeah, I'm not an angel guy. I I'm not an Angelus guy either. I find oh I I think David Boreanaz is not a good actor at this point in his career, and I think that's part of the reason why Angel doesn't quite resonate with me. Um he is though sort of like one of the archetypal, you know, sad lonely emo boys that, you know, girls and 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 boys of a certain variety fall for. That's exactly who Angel is. Um 
and he he does it very well and he looks very good in the part <clears throat> and the metaphor of him turning evil just after you quote unquote give him what he wants which is have sex with him you know everyone has had that experience probably at least once in their life and so it's very resonant i just i've never loved these episodes <laughs> um <laughs> essentially as it's odd i think most people really think the show goes downhill when angel leaves I kind of think it goes uphill, uh, at least in how overall I enjoy the show. Um, once, once Angel is at least not in the center of the story anymore, like which he very much is in season two. Um, but the, you know, it's very well done. The story and sort of the the timing and the plotting is all very good, um, and you feel Buffy's, you know, the sort of collapse of Buffy's life around her. As she gets kicked out of school and kicked out of her house because her mother finds out she's a slayer. There's a great little gay joke where her mom asks her, have you ever tried not yes. being a slayer? Um, which <laughs> is which is nice. Um, but in the end, it just sort of, I'm just sort of like, okay, come on, let's, let's, get, let's, let's deal with this. Uh, Buffy Angel just never, ever worked for me. Partly because he is 100 years old and yes, she is 17. It's pretty problematic. But it's also, so this is the end of season two. And... Season one is a mm-hmm. much shorter, and b, the arc of the master is a a bit ropey, um, and b ends sort of <laughs> haphazardly because the Scoobies aren't fully formed yeah. yet, and it kind of ends with a falling out that you know, uh, the the prophecy and Giles is trying to protect Buffy, and Buffy's like, well, stuff it, I'm gonna go anyway, and then you know people follow her, and it all gets very. It you. This is the first time you get that. They actually play the theme song. Yes. In in Prophecy Girl, they actually play the theme song as Buffy walks. Yeah, up to and fight you know the what? It, that is her first big moment, I suppose. But this is the first of the Scoobies kind of all having the road role to play in the kind of that mm-hmm. overarching thing. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting. I think maybe maybe it's just my Giles loving heart that loves becoming so much as it does. <laughs> Uh, no, it's. I mean, it's a very popular story, and people love it. I, I'm. I think I'm unusual in in finding almost all of the angel stuff to be uh, disinteresting. Mm. I'll put it that way. I think as you both aren't that keen on Angel, how did you feel when Buffy ends up hooking <laughs> up with Spike? Oh dear! As previously stated, Buffy has the worst choice of men. Um, <laughs> like I enjoy Spike mm-hmm. as a character. I enjoy mm-hmm. Spike as a character probably more than Angel. Um, I love the comedy that we get yeah. with him in season four when he's got the chip in his head and he's kind of like mm-hmm. rocking up at Giles' house mm-hmm. and like they're watching Days of Our Lives together or whatever it is um, and drinking <laughs> blood out of uh, I lo- Love the Librarian mug or whatever. Um, so there are some moments where I enjoy Spike as a character. Um, I do think he gets... A redemption arc is not necessarily the right way to state it, but there is a character development towards the end of season six and seven. Um, I ju- all the way through it, I'm just kind of like, well, just don't love, just don't. <laughs> I constantly want to be telling Buffy, just don't do it. It's not worth it. Stop <laughs> it. What are you doing? It's not. It's not a healthy relationship. Yeah, and and no, it's not. And he does sexually assault her. Let's like that's it's. Part of the reason season six is so unpleasant for so many people is because it takes Spike, who is sort of a fun comic foil who occasionally is a bit of a bad guy, 
and pushes him directly into being a Buffy's, you know, I don't know what I can call him in this context. Um, let's say adult friend. Um, mm. And then when she rejects him, he he does try to assault her. And then he goes off and gets his soul. And that sort of sets the stage for season seven. But it's mm-hmm. it's an awful arc. Like, it's an awful arc to watch and, and sit through. And... Um, and I kind of, I kind of wish they had allowed her to actually have a boyfriend who was just nice. They tried that a bit with yeah. Riley, but Riley became corrupted and they did all that, which is why I think, I think they murdered his character. The stuff I see of Riley later on in his sort of run doesn't make sense with the Riley we meet at the beginning, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think any of them are good for her. And and in my head canon, she ends up uh, meeting a nice person. I'm not even sure if it's a guy or not. And she sort of essentially, in my head canon, she retires from slaying by and large because there's plenty of other people to do it. And she doesn't need to do it anymore. And she goes and she just hangs out with somebody she likes and they have fun. Because Buffy has earned fun and none of the men... I was going to say, she's kind of earned that. Yeah, exactly. She's earned it. And that's kind of what the finale gestures towards with her sort of half smile at the end. Uh, but I'm not a Spike <laughs> person. I'm not a I'm not a Principal Wood person. From being, like, oh, I don't think Principal any of them are Wood good. Is I think they're Faith. all awful. Faith of Principal Wood. Yeah, that ends up being very nice. That ends up being a nice little pairing. But uh, yeah, it's Buffy's... The least interesting part of the show to me always yeah. is Buffy's love life because it's always yeah, Buffy yeah. and terrible. And man. part of that is plot related reasons. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah. So for me, what is quite interesting is in terms of Buffy Wars, I missed out on the live journal action, I think, but um, I enjoy fanfic and there's always fanfic <laughs> and there are always divisions in fanfic. Um, and there are things that I refuse to read, um, like in uh, the world of Harry Potter. I don't enjoy anything that is like student professor because I'm just like, guys, these kids are like 15. What are you doing? It's just weird. It's weird and unhealthy. Once everybody has graduated and been out of school for a number of years, then we can have another conversation about it. Age rate difference is not necessarily the problem, but power dynamics make me deeply uncomfortable. So in Buffy, shock horror, there's a lot of Watcher Slayer action and that makes me quite uncomfortable. I can just about cope with it if it is there's a very clear delineation between all of this stuff happens. Buffy goes away to I think she's supposed to go to Rome. Like that season eight is where uh is in Rome, I think, mostly. Is where we find out she is an angel, yeah. They yeah. say she's in Rome with the um, immortal. And Mm-hmm. Then she comes back. Like once, like there has been a separation, and there is like a, a like you know a leveling of the roles and a rebuilding of the council, and a kind of more equal um, in my head canon. Uh, Giles and Buffy kind of reform the council in a kind of much more equal uh, kind of status for for Watchers and for Slayers, um, and it becomes a much more healthy place where people grow and love, um, and that is yeah. But all of these things are complicated and. Yeah, I don't think it would have been nearly the the as interesting a season if it was if he, she had a steady boyfriend who could be relied upon to help her pay the bills, and you know, stuff. Which which the awful part the awful part about Riley is that that is who Riley is, but the show doesn't want him to be that. Which which should we should talk about Hush because this is sort of like Hush is one of the best of so the Buffy Hush Riley is episodes. Phenomenal. Yeah, 
And also, this is a, such a really heralded episode. Mm-hmm. And for a good reason, I think, because, again, it does something remarkable. For the vast majority mm-hmm. of the episodes, nobody speaks. They all lose their voices. Mm-hmm. And we have to rely upon visual clues and sign language and miming of things and really dodgy OHP slides. boards around your neck. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're, you, you are brought into that experience because that's all there is. Mm. Um, and, you know, you could argue that it would be interesting to do it that they couldn't hear each other, but we could hear them. But actually, mm-hmm. they they do it really well and really beautifully. Um, and the gentlemen are terrifying. Oh my God, yeah, the stuff of nightmares. So well done. Um, Whoever came up with the idea of them just gliding along, that's absolutely brilliant. And very well realised as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, one of them, I think he his performance pretty much shaped what the gentlemen are. It'll come back to me. Mm-hmm. You mean Doug Jones? I do mean Doug Jones. Uh, yes. Who is phenomenal at this kind of stuff. Put him in prosthetics and there is, I genuinely don't think anybody better. Um, so yeah, for what the gentlemen are, a lot, the combination of, of Doug Jones and the prosthetics and the the, the visual effects guy mm-hmm. is it's just amazing. But yes, there's a moment in that whereby Riley as a super secret soldier meets Buffy as a vampire slayer while they're both trying to do their thing. Mm-hmm. And there's like a silent moment of like, oh, well, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Like, And <laughs> again, it's taking an episode that is kind of out of out of the norm that is an unusual episode and using it to give you mm. a plot development that is yeah. connected to everything else. So for me, I think what you were saying about Riley's character being twisted, like I do get that and I do understand the frustration and I think he just stayed too long. I think if he hadn't been brought back for season five, it would have been easier. Like, I think if he'd just gone at the end of season four, that, you know, there was, like, some line in passing about the fact that, oh, he's having to go and, like, do rehab after they stop feeding him the super serum. So, like, he's gone back to Iowa or wherever it was he came from. Um, I think I would have found that easier because I just kept being like, why are you still here? Because clearly you're not going to stick around. Like, clearly you can't be allowed to stick around. Yeah, it's... it's it's an amazing episode on its own. It's interesting for what it where it stands. And uh my favorite part is the ending when after they get their speech back, um Riley goes to Buffy's dorm room because this is when her first year at college, uh her only year at college. Mm-hmm. Um and uh she they say they should talk and then they can't break the awkward silence and the episode ends. And yeah. it's it's you know, it's clever. It's not just sort of Oh, here's a here's a shtick we can do. We can have these creepy guys, and they can come and steal your hearts, and they won't you won't be able to speak. It's you know it's an episode about communication. It's about language. It's about how difficult it is to use words to say things. All those sort of stuff. It it plays on all of those, and it's not just with Buffy and Riley. It's sort of this is the first moment when Tara and Willow express that they have a connection with each other when they are you know, able to sort of hold hands and be very powerful witches together when in isolation they were sort of both kind of just okay. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a lot of really interesting stuff happening in the episode. And it's just fun. It's it's another one that's fun. It has great jokes. It moves really nicely. Um, it's very standalone-y in a way that some of the other arc-heavy ones aren't. Um, like, you don't really need to know that much about the initiative the group Riley belongs to to, to appreciate what's happening in the story. Um, but it's very it's very arc-heavy in terms of the, the characters. Um, and that's something that the Monster of the Week episodes were still very good at doing, which was making it about the characters. It's not just this week there's a werewolf because we like werewolves. It's this yeah. week there's a werewolf because we're talking about, you know, suppressing hormones or we're talking about, you know, trying to be rational when you're a teenager and you just want to go and do awful things. Like whatever. The monster's always metaphor, Buffy. Um, so, and the gentleman is sort of about politeness almost in a weird way because they're these sort of Victorian looking <laughs> men and they're called the gentlemen. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. we don't talk about things that are difficult to talk about. Oh, and it's, that sort of so it's that fixed sort of rictus grin as well. There's something mm-hmm. about something that should yeah. be. Oh, it, they remind me of, uh, are, like, not quite, are you being served? But it's that kind of like you could see them as like a forceful salesman just kind of gone slightly wrong mm-hmm. like you know it, it, there, yeah, yeah it's, it's very unnerving um, it, it's maybe worth touching on the fact that so where I or where we've agreed that Buffy's relationships are pretty much uniformly problematic um, <laughs> the way that uh, Willow's relationships are handled I think actually is remarkably sound um, mm-hmm. I love her and Oz. I think Oz is an incredible character. He's dry and witty and the the werewolf element of his persona is is dealt with in a really it's never not given seriousness and when it needs to be like, you know, there's always a clear like, no, this is like, you know, you don't mess about with this because you know I could hurt someone and that's not okay. But equally there's there's lots of dry chat and mm-hmm. lots of kind of thing. And the pair of them together are lovely. And that it it's it feels like a really wholesome depiction of what a, a relationship should be like at that stage. It feels quite realistic as well because it it feels like a sort of typical teen relationship, and the whole thing where she has that fling with Xander mm-hmm. and they have the big bust up, and that feels quite natural and quite yeah, you know, it's the sort of thing that happens with teenagers. I felt like also the the way that they sort of dealt with representation, I felt was mm-hmm. quite ahead of its time, yeah. Yeah. would you say? Yeah, no, Willie, Willow coming to terms with her sexuality was like a huge thing in the queer community. Like it, it honestly was. And, um, mm. and the fact that it, they never, like they never sort of said, you used to be straight and now you're gay. Like it's sort of just like they come to realize that their friend has learned things about herself. And mm-hmm. as one does in in college and like high school, like it's sort of, it's what happens. Um, and I like the fact that and it's also very believable that it's often centered on one person at first. And at first Willow is like Tara sexual almost <laughs> instead of being just straight up <laughs> um, lesbian. But then... By the end, she's with Kennedy, or she seems like she's going to be with Kennedy. Um, it's strongly implied, yeah. and so uh, you know, it's it's nice to think that Willow's out there being a lesbian witch somewhere. You see, it is interesting because um, the terminology is really key. So for me, I don't think of her as being lesbian because I feel that that almost devalues the relationship that she's had with Oz. Um. So for me, I would 
probably describe her as bisexual, what she would choose to identify as, which is funny because she often, like, the, the, the she, she says does, lesbian, I'm and it's pretty, pretty sure. much the only thing that grates with me because if she's a lesbian, then is she deciding that what she had with Oz wasn't real? And maybe she is, and as a character, I will never know the inside of her head. But that to me, f- I mean, I don't think that necessarily means she didn't love. Yeah, Oz. I mean, my mom calls herself a lesbian, and she was married to my dad for okay. seventeen years. Okay, and you know, so like, I I think it's entirely possible to have serious relationships that mean something. But to be something else, yeah, and I suppose I um, sexuality mm-hmm. is as uh, we're increasingly discovering uh, a myriad of of different experience. Um, for me, like that, that mm. was a terminology that I just kind of it felt slightly grating to me. But that that's just my personal experience. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting to kind of see that they've managed to show us and model what seem to be healthy relationships and healthy sexual identity kind of journeys in one character. And then Buffy is just a hot mess. Which is what makes me think that a lot of it is plot driven. <laughs> Although Xander also ends up being a hot mess. But that feels well. like a, a quite a realistic um, hot mess because Yeah, I yeah, I suppose. But I think I think you could maybe argue that Buffy's hot messiness is realistic in the sense that she is a unique and tremendously powerful human being. Well, she's been put in and that situation. She, yeah, and, and, yeah, and the idea of being like you know, what normal boyfriend could she have? Yeah, yeah. I suppose like in the, reality, would she have one at all? Would she just decide that life was too busy and she just yeah. couldn't be bothered? Um, yeah, the fact that she keeps <laughs> trying to have a normal life is sort of like the, the decisive conflict that makes Buffy different from previous Slayers who sort of just became Slayers. And very true, died. very true. Um, and again, mm. it would make very uninteresting television. Um, I Yeah, no, I think the, the Xander and Anya thing, I think is... It always felt it was obviously what happens is awful, but it felt kind. It it didn't feel throwaway. It didn't feel like it was done purely for the plot development. It didn't. It felt earned, which seems like an awful thing to say about a relationship falling apart. But again, it's they're just bringing in a a realism to relationships, aren't they? In a very, you know, it sounds weird to say that in a show like Buffy. That's all about a crazy hell mouth with demons and vampires and all sorts of weird stuff. But you've got that kind of reality to bring viewers back and sort of have that sort of, I don't know where I'm going with this really, but no, but know, it, it has that kind it's of emotionally real. And that's the thing about Buffy yeah. is it always has to be emotionally real because all the nonsense, as you say, is, is nonsense. Um, but it yeah. has to be emotionally real. And that's why one of my episodes, the one, the one we haven't talked about yet at all, is The Prom. Look at that. Very well done. Which is, which <laughs> yeah. is a, thank you. But it, it's, in many ways, it's a very slight episode. Um, like, the the monster of the week is is literally joke. It's a joke. It's tossed off in joke almost. And, and Buffy goes and deals with it. And it's some demon dogs um, that are being trained to attack Prom because... Some because mm-hmm. some guy. Oh, and that's that's the joke. Is that yeah? It's she's like, why are you doing this? He's like, I have my reason. And it turns out like he asked yes. her the promise. She said no. <laughs> and it's, just, it's very just like I'm an awful high school boy. That's that's the reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, but it's the episode where Angel tells Buffy like, look, this I'm moving to L.A. This isn't going to happen. We can't be together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she still has to go to prom and be the slayer and do all these things and but the moment that kills me that will kill me forever is when 
her oh. when they get Jonathan. <laughs> like the scene, the class is the class is doing their sort of like you know happiest couple awards. They're doing the prom. Some schools do it that way, and they get Jonathan to read about how this thing about how you know we never really knew you, kind of afraid of you maybe, um, but and when weird things happened, you were always there. But you know you saved us, Buffy Summers, class oh. protector. I'm like yeah, literally I'm about to cry. It's <laughs> so powerful to see yeah. all these people who they. It's not that they like Buffy or even know her, but they know that they owe her their lives in some way. Mm-hmm. And then the way that leads into graduation but, is perfect. But that episode but yeah. is just full of beautiful character moments. So um, we mm-hmm. discover that Cordelia is in fact working to pay for her dress because it's all gone horribly wrong with her parents. Yes. Um, yeah. And Xander, who is notoriously broke, spends whatever he's got on making sure that she can get her dress. Um, yeah, his yeah, road, his trip, road money. trip money. Uh, so he spends his road trip money on making sure she can have her dress for prom. And uh, it's just... There's just so many beautiful moments. Um, and obviously Angel does rock up to give Buffy her prom moment. And from I don't know that we ever really understand that, but there's already been a moment between Giles and Buffy, which I like I always love those little quiet moments. Like the proud father moments sort of mm-hmm. kind of Comrade in arm, proud mm-hmm. father moments, yeah. and they're littered all the way through, and they're just, and they go through rocky patches, and the the relationship changes, but those moments where they just are together, and there's an acknowledgement of the fact that he's proud, or she's thankful, or you know what, at least they've got each other, are just beautiful, and then Angel arrives, and at that point, the relationship between Angel and Giles has already been deeply complicated for a variety of becoming related reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels very much like Giles has maybe reached out and gone, really? Really? Are you sure you don't want to do this? Like, he's like, you can leave. Just rock yeah. up and give her a dance first. Like, you know, <laughs> it's that moment where the dad picks up the phone and goes, be a better man. Yeah, and we already saw in this episode that Joyce talked to Angel. Um, or maybe, I forget if this one or the one before, but Joyce has talked to him. Essentially, all the adults in the room were saying, Angel, you you can't let her carry on with this. Like, she's planning, she's picking out your wedding, China. Like, you cannot, you can't. You're a hundred-year-old vampire. She's an 18-year-old mm-hmm. girl. And it's, it's let that her lovely juxtaposition because the, the relationship, which is complicated by band candy, uh, between Joyce and Giles, I find really fascinating because... <laughs> Um, in Anne, which mm-hmm. is the one after becoming, so Buffy has run away because she can't deal with the fact that she's killed Angel, or she sent him to a hell dimension and he'd had his soul back and it was traumatic, so she's going away and trying to yeah. like go away um, and there are some <laughs> absolutely heartbreaking moments between Giles and Joyce whereby Giles is dashing around the country trying to find her Joyce is clearly not impressed with him and in an echo of that have you ever tried not being a vampire slayer moment kind of uh, she's almost like <laughs> it's your fault that she's like this um yeah so she's she's almost blaming an influence uh, on buffy's life for the fact that she's she's the slayer because clearly giles just was like fancy being the slayer come on it's gonna be great fun anyway um and it's just <laughs> it's awful and difficult and then there's there's band ca- there's all sorts of things but the pair of them 
they kind of orbit around Buffy in a slightly complicated fashion. Um, and sometimes they're working together and mm-hmm. sometimes they're not so much. Um, but yeah, so that kind of, their influence on Angel and Angel and Buffy's relationship, I think, is quite interesting. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure, like, I, I won't say I'm sure, my suspicion is that when sort of core demographic of, you know, young women of a certain age saw this, they sort of were were angry at, you know, Joyce and Giles for sort of essentially yeah, making making Angel and, yeah. be the better man and not just do the easy, comfortable mm-hmm. thing. But as you get older, you I think you take their side more and more, probably. Yeah. Like, it's... it's yeah. Uh, Buffy is a teenage girl and she has sort of the the dreams of a teenage girl um but which means that their one dance at prom uh to wild horses um is just tremendously great and it sort of caps off this really lovely episode of as you say like just beautiful character moments uh for all of them and it's sort of like because graduation day which is the finale of season of season three which is a two which is a two-parter is this huge mm-hmm. epic story um and it has great sort of character beats, but the prom is sort of like, it's it's the last time this configuration at the high school, this group is sort of together, yeah, just, and like, you, just you, together. And, um, and it's really lovely that way. Joss Whedon fashion, there is still levity and lightness in it all. Like, it does not feel mm-hmm. overly sappy, because you've got the comedy of the, the dogs that have been a trained to attack prom dresses but you've also got yeah. wesley and cordelia in their sort of deep and to be frank yes. that is possibly one of the most deeply awkward relationships they approach but the way that the fact that it becomes very apparent <laughs> that it's clearly not going to become a thing redeems it that as soon as they're allowed to do Let's it, definitely they're both not like, do oh, that. This, no. um, but it, it is also like, and to a certain extent, it's, <laughs> it's it's an easy spoke in the wheel of Wesley being incompetent and inappropriate and generally just a bit rubbish when compared to Giles, uh, which is why I find it really funny when people are like, "Yeah, but Giles mm-hmm. is totally sleeping with Buffy," and I'm like, "No, just no." Hashtag just say no. Um, yeah, so it. <laughs> it, it's interesting. It's a it's a lovely episode as well. Actually, I I was I was I was happy to see it on the list. Is there anything else that either of you would like to bring up that we haven't covered yet? Because I think we feels like we've gone right the way. Yeah, through. we kind of worked our way backwards to a certain extent, but yeah, mm, we did. Yeah. The only one we didn't really touch on is the wish. Mm. Um, yeah, that's, that's Anya's first story. Yeah, is that right? yeah, um, mm. which might have seemed a little odd as a kind of one off for you to jump into, but. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of like the equivalent of a Mirror Universe episode. So if you're a Star mm-hmm. Trek fan, mm-hmm. Mirror Universe episodes are a chance for all of the actors to pretend to be evil versions of themselves and the writers to have a jolly good time writing some kind of evil romp. Um, so in The Wish, uh, Cordelia has been broken hearted um, because of Xander um, and in her yeah. classic logic decides that it's all Buffy's fault because if Buffy hadn't come and socialised with Xander and made him infinitesimally more cool, she never would have looked at him. So (laughs) she just wishes that Buffy had never come to Sunnydale. And Anya, who is coaxing this out of her, or Anyanka, she is at the time, um, coaxes this out of her um, and then grants this wish. So all of a sudden, Cordelia finds herself in a world where Buffy had never made it to Sunnydale 
and they're vampires, loose and interestingly, you know, uh, the the Scooby's friend from the first episode who gets killed is still alive. Um, and you know, there's all sorts of weirdness going on. But we get to see Vampire Willow and Vampire Xander, mm-hmm. who are mm-hmm. sleazy and skeezy and all sorts of awful. And Willow's um, kind of gay, as she says later when she meets her. She's like, I think I was kind of gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. Is that is that later when? That's in Doppelgangland when or whatever. Yeah, it is I almost thought about Doppelgangland. I couldn't decide for ages because I love Doppelgangland too. And Alison Hannigan knocks it out of the park. Mm-hmm. She's delightful um, in both roles. Uh, but yeah, so we get to see these alternative versions of the creatures, um, and all sorts of stuff happens. And the master is still around, and he's trying to create the the master's plan for a factory that like produces uh, yeah that bit falls apart very easily because you put humans mm. in and you get blood out which i think is kind of what vampires do anyway yeah all know. <laughs> um it's just factory so, yeah. farming is all yes yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much uh you put the humans in and it comes out of a tap basically it's like a sausage machine mm-hmm. isn't it? <laughs> i can have it in a goblet as opposed to drinking it warm from somebody's veins uh <laughs> that sounds quite revolting anyway um so yeah, we see all of this stuff and Angel is the puppy and there's general nonsense. Um, but they somehow managed to save the day. The Scoobies that exist in the, the dream world figure out what it is that's caused this and uh, smash Anyanka's pendant. which uh, And basically Giles is like, well, we just got to hope that the other world is better than this one because it can't be much worse. <laughs> which is a sentiment that I find... I, I kind of love it as a kind of you've just got to take the risk sometimes mm. and it's always struck me makes you wonder if there's a pendant somewhere we ought to be smashing <laughs> well, well uh, but, but they yeah, do a really think... good job I think in The Wish of showing how even even the sort of small things that they have in Buffy that give them pleasure like going out at night time for example, are just in in this world just completely impossible. Or wearing color, wearing color, yeah, it attracts them. They say. I don't know if that's true, but it's mm. like it's interesting to hear like all the stories they come up with. Um, and absolutely, yeah. Um, and then when Buffy does arrive, she mm. is not the Buffy that we know because she's hardened and she hasn't had anyone to watch her back, mm-hmm. and she hasn't had those friends who are won't let her walk out on their own. Um. So yeah, that's that. It's really interesting. I think again, it's another one of those episodes where they just kind of turn something on their head and show you something from a different perspective, mm-hmm. um, and it's 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 one of the better talents of the of the show. Yeah, I think the last episode I want to mention just because it's something that does a kind of similar thing, um, although mm-hmm. in a different way, and it's and it's I love it because it's it's about story, a storyteller, which is a late season seven episode um, about Andrew who is one of the dinks yes. in season six. And Jonathan is the one who did like the alternate universe where everyone sort of made him like king. Um, Andrew ends up being, as they always call him, Andrew is Tucker's brother. Tucker's the guy at the prom. So it's like, oh, Andrew. Oh yeah. Tucker's brother. And which is how high school. People I didn't do to the dogs. I did the monkeys. I did the monkeys. Yeah. I did the monkeys. He's very adamant about that. <laughs> and he's like, and he has become sort of, an adjunct to the Scooby gang in season seven because there's nowhere else for him to go, having murdered his friend. Um, and he 
he essentially he's narrating the episode and he's like creating the story and it's wonderful because in the end Buffy sort of forces him to be honest instead of live in the story and I, I like that that essentially he needs to sort of abandon this sort of nice framing and this you know oh there's a hero and a heroine sort of storyline and has to accept reality as it is instead of how he might wish it to be or how he would tell it as a story um and i anytime a show kind of goes there it's super fun but it's also the show sort of being very aware of you know i think it's almost the show saying to the fans who wanted the story they wanted saying we're telling our story and our story is not happy ever after yeah, and again, it's it, while it is a standalone and it has such a different perspective on everything that we've seen and everything that we've experienced up until this point, it, it gives you a stepping stone in that bigger arc mm-hmm. because this is all about getting us to the place for season seven where we understand that we can't be sure what the ending is going to be. Yeah. Like, you almost go into Chosen. I was convinced Buffy was going to die the first time I yeah, watched it. Totally yeah, convinced Buffy you, was going to die. You and for good. You have to remember that this is in an era decades before Game of Thrones where they killed off characters you love left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. But they've already killed her twice. So, actually. <laughs> like, you know. Um, and, you know, maybe it's, you know, Buffy gets killed and the next Chosen one is the one who rises up and it's a bit of a, a, a Neville Longbottom moment. Um, like there are all sorts of different things but yeah it very much you go into the end of season 7 knowing that this is gritty and real and you just can't be sure like the there's another episode in that arc whereby they all so the whole thing of season 7 is that the the big bad can pretend to be dead people and it appears to everybody as people who have died either to taunt them and to make them feel awful, like Buffy is visited by, well, by the vampires of her past, um, amongst other things, and her mum and various other people because they're already passed away. But it sometimes tricks you into believing you're speaking to somebody because they're already dead and you don't know that they're dead. Mm-hmm. And in one episode, they suddenly go, when was the last time anybody touched Giles? Because yeah. they suddenly decide that Giles is in fact already dead and that it is the big bad pretending to be Giles. And there's this huge, big, convoluted, extended period whereby they're all convinced that Giles is dead and it's actually uh, the first or whatever uh, pretending yeah, to be him. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretending to be him. And you just don't know. And I love that. It's awful, but you love it. You you buy into all of it because they have killed off people. They have, like, Xander's lost an eye. Like, the level of unexpected discomfort has been huge already. Yeah, particularly the episodes I saw of season seven, it does seem like um, they're very much anything goes yeah. and really trying to keep you on the edge of your seat as to what's going to happen yeah and and even in the end and that that bus that drives away from the hellmouth which is collapsing into the california desert um Mm -hmm. most of our favorite characters are there the only one who really we knew well that dies is anya yeah um but but yet even just seeing some of these potential the sort of new slayers who we've seen all season get killed um 
is is rough. Yeah. Um, but you know, mm. our our leads all make it. Um, and I I don't think anyone thought that was what we were going. But but the fact that we even questioned it is testament to like how sort of okay anything goes. This show became by the end, um, mm. which is so funny given how sort of simply it starts. Yeah, and it's the the joy of that anything goes is that they then don't use it in the finale. Mm-hmm. Like I think, and maybe it would be harder to do that now because we we we've all just seen too much of this stuff. I think, but the, yeah, they they set you up to this point of tension, and then they don't they don't press the big trigger. So we get to the end, and actually, we get pretty much everybody out, and that's lovely. We don't have like them sobbing over Dawn or Giles or Buffett, like you know. They yeah. could have done any of those things, and we would have accepted mm. that those were shocking, but not unexpected. Yeah, whereas I think the killing of Anya and the way it's done, which is fast and brutal, um, and we if you're like if you turn away from TV for like thirty seconds, you miss it. Like she doesn't get a hero moment; she just gets cut down from behind. Yeah, and I think because of her journey, they felt able to do that. Yeah, because she has been hero and demon again, mm-hmm. and we're not quite sure where she is and wherever she is. She always, or, or to be fair, she was demon and then hero and then demon again. But you know, she always had a huge history of of misery behind her. <laughs> yeah, it was complicated. And and just to tie it into what I was saying earlier, uh, Andrew is the one that tells uh, Xander that she died, and he lies. Yeah, he says she died saving my life. Because, again, he wants to tell Xander a nice story. So, stuff like that is what will make me love Buffy forever. Like, it's so aware of the power of what it's doing, and it does it so well. And it's so human. At the end of the Mm -hmm. day, I think, for me, it's about vampires, clearly, in the title, and and monsters. But it's about humans. (laughs) It is about our inability to tolerate difference. And the joy it can bring when we learn that actually just because somebody's a werewolf doesn't make them evil. Because mm-hmm. um, that's a life lesson everybody needs to learn. <laughs> <laughs> but like, all the way through this, and it definitely does change and evolve across the seven seasons, which is probably why it is my most extreme example of that. I get to the end and I want to go back to the start. And it's about people trying to do the right thing in incredibly difficult circumstances about supporting somebody who has a burden to bear that is something that none of the rest of us could imagine and about trying to help them with that and that is a life skill we all need it's something particularly at the moment maybe oh i'm gonna get sentimental now the the value in understanding that everybody's journey is different and whether you have superhero powers or, or a family at home or whether you don't have any responsibilities or whatever that is that journey can be made better with a friend. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. like, that's what humanity is about. It is about supporting each other to do what needs to be done, whether that's do the shopping or kill a master vampire. Like, you know, it's a thing. Sorry, clearly it's too late now, and I have got quite <laughs> emotional. <laughs> well, I thought that was a really nice summing up. Oh, dear. Excellent. Okay, well, we're going to go for a commercial break now. When we come back, we're going to get a bit of feedback from our listeners, and I'm also going to be asking our guests for their recommendations. I don't think this is going to work. You may be right. 
We, we don't seem to have much in common. I know. I hate opera, you hate jazz. And I loathe modern art. It's my job. So, about the only thing we do have in common is... Our tasting coffee. Golden roasted, richer, smoother, Nescafe Gold Blend. Hello. I want to see you now. And welcome back. So it's time for some listener feedback. So we didn't have hundreds of replies, but what we did get was quality rather than quantity. So thank you for everyone who uh, responded. So I'm going to go first. Uh, we have got Jeff Waddell up in Scotland. He says, dipped in and out of it, mostly the early episodes, which seemed to be standalone. But as it went on, the narrative became such that if you missed an episode or two, you didn't know what the hell was going on when you eventually caught up. Sarah Michelle, what's her name? Is fit, though. Yeah, that's sorry. That's Jeff. <laughs> uh, and Giles's library was really a TARDIS, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Maybe. maybe. So thanks, Jeff. And Rob Irwin, uh, who is from the Doctor Who show. He says, Buffy has dated much the same as any 90s TV series, which seems normal on one hand, as that's what TV shows do, but is slightly shocking as it always seemed that that much funnier, more knowing, and had more heart than most of the shows back then. So for it to feel as basically aged as the rest of them nowadays and not actually possess any magical powers to stop the march of time and still feel as fresh as it did back then is slightly sobering to this mid-40s correspondent. This is not to say you can't watch certain episodes and still be elevated by what you're watching, whether it's the audacity of Once More With Feeling, which so many series have tried to copy since, the brutality of something like Passion, the creepiness of Hush, the heartbreak of The Body, the Hold My Beer finale nature of Graduation Day, all those episodes still work, but I'd be lying if I didn't see the dated nature of the direction, the writing, and the overall feel for the show. I'd love to know what a 14-year-old in 2020 makes of it now. Thank you for that. And lastly from me, I have... This is quite a special bit of feedback. Uh, this is from Brian Richardson, who I've known online for many, many years. Uh, back in the early 2000s, I used to moderate on a Doctor Who board and he would crop up from time to time and his handle, which he would use quite a lot, was Mr Pointy. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he, I believe he's retired from his moderating duties, but he was very much involved in BuffyBoards.com, which if you haven't been on, it'd be worth checking out. Very friendly environment for you to go on and chat about all things Buffy. And he, he wanted to talk about how he got into Buffy and his sort of first experience of it. So Brian says... It was their first visit to the United States. We were on a bus tour of California and Vegas. There were long days of travelling, sightseeing and recovering from jet lag. And it took its toll on Chris, which is his wife, who ended up feeling really knackered on that day in Vegas. I was OK, so I thought I'd watch a bit of telly with the sound way down so as not to disturb her. It's very easy to get into channel hopping while watching American TV because of all the breaks. But I started watching the first episode of Buffy and carried on because it completely gripped me. I'd heard of the film but dismissed it as it sounded like typical B-movie fodder. But this was much better than it should have been. Hey, the pretty girl was chasing the monsters. Blimey. Was that him off the Gold Blend adverts? Etc, <laughs> etc. <cetera>, et 
So thanks for that, Brian. And next we're going to go to Lindsay. Yeah, so I have this from Amanda Schneider in Indiana. Mm -hmm. Why do I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer? I'm so happy you asked. I have decided to answer in list format because in addition to loving Buffy, I love lists. Who doesn't love a list? Indeed. One, right place, right time. It was the summer of 97 and I was absolutely brimming with free time as a recent high school graduate. I was a teenager. It was a show about being a teenager. And even though the whole thing was taking place on a hellmouth, it seemed way more realistic than 90210. Two, being the new girl. I think I was the new girl in school five times. I went to three different high schools, sad face. I really identified with Buffy as the new girl that first season. Who will you eat lunch with? What if you get lost? What if you inadvertently offend a bully? Not to mention all the well-established dynamics that you are just blundering into when you start a new high school. Ugh. Three, Willow Rosenberg. She is adorable. Even in the alternate universe, bizarro world, as a vampire, she is adorable. Maybe not quite as adorable when she went all veiny-faced. Um, I'm not 100% <laughs> Willow. If I took one of those BuzzFeed quizzes, I'd probably be about 50% Willow, 25% Buffy, 10% Anya, 10% Giles, 3% Cordelia, and 2% Buffybot. Not that I ever took one of those quizzes. We didn't even talk about the Buffybot. Anyway. Um, four. Angel Spike, Angel Spike. Well, just not Riley. I think my teenage heart... Uh, we'll always ship the Buffy Angel pairing. But damn it, uh, Spike, the Spike redemption story is pretty epic. Five, Buffy Summers, class protector. How can you not love her? She is always trying. There is so much loss and struggle in this character. She's her own worst enemy much of the time. But is it any wonder? She is like the brave little toaster and just keeps going. Also, she had the best outfits. Right, can we just... Uh, I would like to correct that because some of the outfits are absolutely Ooh. horrific. Please see my Twitter list. Uh, anyway, X6. Okay. Anya and the bunnies. I have nothing to say about this, really. I just loved that they made a thousand-year-old vengeance demon afraid of bunnies. Yes, that was excellent. That was great. Uh, seven, the Scooby Gang. Has there ever been a more perfect unit? I love nothing more than watching them do research in the library and arguing over who ate the last jelly donut. Eight. This show was just full of campy, funny goodness. Joss Whedon is a genius. I'm pretty particular about humour. I wish I was one of those people that laugh easily and often, but I'm stingy with my chuckles. The Buffy brand of humour is definitely my sweet spot. In the episode Hush, season 4, episode 10, which is beyond creepy, they managed to work in some of the funniest moments. Giles' slideshow presentation with his Buffy will patrol tonight illustration is perfectly embedded amongst all the creepy. 9. The show was just full of campy funny goodness, except when it was full of poignant sadness. Joss Whedon is an evil man. There is so many soul-shattering moments in this show. Jenny Callender... Buffy's taking Angel to save the world, Tara, Buffy's mum, Anya trying to process the death of Joyce in the episode The Body, season 5, episode 16, is one of my very saddest TV moments. 10. She saved the world. A lot. Excellent. Thank you for that, Amanda. And thank you for reading it out, Lindsay. You're very welcome. 
And Eric, I feel like there may be a bit of a connecting theme here for your feedback. I think there may be. It's from a Ben Schneider in Indiana. So let's see. (laughs) Uh, Settle in. If not for Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Russell T. Davis, I would never have married. I met my future wife on a cool spring evening in South Indiana around 2010, just after 9 p.m. There was a bit of a party going on, and we had both gone on the outside porch to get away from the noise. Of course, I was in complete love, head over heels, every cliche there is, but I had no idea if I was making any sort of impression on this wonderful person standing next to me. For the first time in my life, I knew, I knew that she was the one. I was panicked. I needed a plan. I needed to not scare her away. I quickly considered my available assets. I had no money with which to bribe her, no muscles to excite her, how I realized I'd therefore have to use my personality and charm. My brain considered this option and responded with clangs of, Emergency! Red alert! All hands on deck! (laughs) Running through my head. Somehow I kept the panic at bay on the outside, presenting a calm and cool facade. And as we chatted, getting to know each other, she mentioned her favorite TV show of all time was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I smiled, but inside my brain was in despair. Oh no, I've never seen it! (laughs) Yep, it's true, fellow nerds everywhere. I honestly had never seen a single episode of Buffy. It was just one of those shows I somehow missed. Probably because I spent most of my free time poring over VHS tapes of old Doctor Who memorizing every moment and line of dialogue. Can I just take a moment and tell you all about Space Pirates Episode (laughs) 5? Anyway, back to the Indiana (laughs) porch. I was staring at my future wife, entranced. But what to do with this Buffy information? What to say? I briefly pondered the possibility of lying to her, saying, Oh yeah, I'm a huge fan. Which the intent of going with the intent of going into the video store the next morning, buying all seven seasons of Buffy, and trying to watch every episode in an all-day binge, risking blindness <laughs> and insanity and loss of employment. So yeah, that was an option. But you know, that would also be starting our life together on a lie. And somehow, I just couldn't do it. And then, oh joy of joys. Then something started to happen in my brain. A memory was jumping up and down in the back of my head, begging for attention. A funny little memory I had of an interview with one Russell T. Davis, the architect of the modern Doctor Who revival. Prior to the 2005 relaunch of the show, fans were wondering what this new version of the show would be like. And when asked by reporters, RTD said he was inspired by, wait for it, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I know, right? My silly brain suddenly remembered that all those years ago, RTD said he was basing the character dynamics of the new Doctor Who not so much on the classic Doctor Who format, but more akin to the ensemble and family nature as seen on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was the hook I needed, and so I told my future wife all about how I'd never seen Buffy, but the guy who resurrected my favorite T-show had done so with Buffy in mind. This little bit of trivia interested her, and she admitted that she had never seen Doctor Who. So... I suggested that we should both watch each other's shows with each other. You know, together. And so we did. We started out watching the first season of Buffy, and then we watched series one of Doctor Who, and then moved on to the second season of Buffy, and then progressed on to series two of Doctor Who, back and forth, over and over, until wouldn't you know it, we went and got married. Thank you, RTD! As part of our wedding festivities, we even paid tribute to the two silly television programs that brought us together the first evening on the porch. It was decorating the top of our wedding cake. Instead of the traditional plastic bride and groom figurine, we had a little Buffy action figure standing next to a little Doctor Who action figure. They were both about five inches tall. The Buffy figure was in a white dress and black leather jacket as seen in the first season episode Prophecy Girl. 
and the Doctor Who figure was all nine, Christopher Eccleston, my wife's first Doctor Who, and at the same time the incarnation who looked most like me, buzzed hair and all. And later that night, my new wife wore a black leather jacket over her white wedding gown as we left the reception, an action figure come to life. She didn't have a crossbow, but I still told her, by the way, I really like your dress. Oh, Excellent. How sweet is that? I love things like that. Oh. And thank you, Eric, for reading that wonderful That was feedback. really lovely. I'm, I'm happy to know there's this married couple in Indiana who, who sort of unite two of my favorite shows. <laughs> it's very sweet. Yeah. And thank you all for your feedback. That's been fantastic. So we're now going to move on to recommendations. Um, I am going to come to Lindsay first. What would you like to recommend for okay, our listeners? So uh, the first thing I'm going to recommend is an old school uh, show that is on Netflix currently. Um, so I have been watching Jonathan Creek, which is Ooh. straight out of my childhood. And I love it. I just love it. Oh, way to make me feel old there, Lindsay. Jeez. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I say childhood. I was a teenager, probably. Um, I had okay, a very well, awkward conversation. Well, maybe not even a teen. No, I can't have been a teenager yet because I had a very awkward conversation with my mother uh, because I was very excited for, for the next episode of Jonathan Creek. And she's like, why? What, what do you think is going to happen? I was like, well, I think they're going to do it. And there was a really awkward conversation about what it was. And Ooh. I was told off <laughs> for discussing it as it. Um, which, in hindsight, having rewatched the series recently... The characters do. <laughs> uh, so I'd clearly picked it up from there. Anyway, um, so Jonathan Creek is currently available on uh, Netflix, particularly the early stuff with Carolyn Quentin alongside Alan Davis is definitely worth a watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is a bit random. Um, at the moment, there are lots of uh, actors and creators uh, sharing content with us which is great i think some of it's better than others um, mm-hmm. but patrick stewart has been reading sonnets which are delightful definitely check out his twitter yes. it's just patrick stewart reading shakespeare mm-hmm. sonnets you really don't need much more than that what's um, not to like but the latest yeah. kind of addition to the pantheon of, of possibilities is um harry potter and the chamber of secrets is being read by actors associated with the franchise uh, so this is an Ooh. official thing. Um, chapter one was read by Daniel mm. Radcliffe, which is ever so slightly surreal, because, you know. Mm. Um, and the second one was uh, read by the actress who played uh, Hermione Granger in the original casting of The Cursed Child. So they're releasing okay. a chapter kind of, I don't know if it's once a week or twice a week, something like that. Um, but yeah, it's I love an audiobook and I believe I've seen clips and Stephen Fry has definitely read one and Stephen Fry reading live as opposed to just in my recordings would also be exciting. So I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to that. Excellent. Uh, and Eric, what have you got for us? I Okay, so I was trying to think whether the last time I was on was when I made you watch Into the Woods. And I think I, I think, think it might it well was. have been, yes. Um, and yep. so to connect to that, um, a few weeks ago there was in honor of the Broadway composer Stephen Sondheim's 90th birthday, yeah. there was an online concert gala thing um, that you can stream on YouTube now. It's called "Take Me to the World: A Sondheim 90th Birthday Celebration," and it is full of a wide variety of. Broadway singers and film performers and Steven Spielberg pops in, um, essentially singing the praises of and then singing, more importantly, the songs of Steven Sondheim 
um, all recorded okay. in quarantine. So this is all there was planned to be an actual concert, but you know, then then this all happened. I wave my hands around this all. And um, <laughs> and so they kind of all recorded from their home. So it's not only amazing performers singing amazing songs. It's also sort of a peek into their lives and you get to see like their bathrooms or wherever they recorded. Um, and it has a surprising number of sort of songs that even if you kind of know musicals, you might not have heard before because the performers got to choose their own songs and often they sang sort of something that was maybe a bit more obscure or more interesting, but um, okay. it's really phenomenal content. It's about two and a half hours, but it's on YouTube um, and you can just go and watch it now. And it's really great. Um, it is worth it alone for the ladies who lunch trio. That is uh, Christine Baranski, Audra McDonald and Meryl Streep. Oh yes. Wow. All in bathrobes getting drunk while they sing. It's incredible. <laughs> Um, and generally speaking, to, to follow up, I would just say during these times, I have found myself really enjoying YouTube in a way that I never had before. Mm -hmm. I'm old. And so YouTube has always just been where you go to watch like <laughs> a thing, like, you know, uh, like how to tie your necktie video or something. Uh -huh. And I knew there were all these YouTube creators doing content of all sorts, but, um, but mm -hmm. sort of comforting predictable 15 to 20 minute long videos are really nice these days um yeah. and so i would just recommend youtube generally <laughs> just find find a kind <laughs> of creator you like uh then they'll probably be able to help guide you towards a bunch of other stuff and you'll discover whole worlds of entertainment or instruction or cooking or whatever you want i recently fell down a rabbit hole of listening to loops of video game music with mm. atmospheric effect. Oh wow! And you know what? It totally changed my working life. Um, I know I'm, I'm not <laughs> currently working at a desk, but when I work <laughs> at a desk, actually, turns out that even as somebody who's relatively mm, vaguely musical, I can listen to three minutes eleven seconds if it's looped well for hours. Just hours. It's just really wow. good background music. Um, so yeah, lots of good stuff out there. Well, that's excellent. Thank you both so much for your recommendations. I'm going to chuck a couple out there as well. Lindsay is a fellow fan like myself of Cabin Pressure, which is a yes. radio for excellent call. comedy series. Excellent call. Yes. And one of the stars and indeed the writer and creator is called John Finnemore, who has a presence on Twitter. And since he's been having to be uh, isolated like a lot of us. He's been creating these little videos on YouTube and they're called Cabin Fever. So he's doing them in character as his character Arthur from Cabin Pressure. And they're fun. They're only sort of little 10 minute snippets. But if you have listened to Cabin Pressure and you enjoy that, I think you might get something out of these because they are quite fun. So they're a nice little diversion. So yeah, if you go to John Finnemore on Twitter or just type in John Finnemore on YouTube and I'm sure you'll find it there. And the other thing I was going to recommend, which is probably a bit like hen's teeth to get hold of, but if you've been lucky enough to get one, I would certainly recommend watching the uh, Doctor Who, the collection season 14 Blu-ray, which they're not exactly cheap, but if you're a nerd like me and you have to complete the set it's a must really there's some great episodes 
on there and more than anything it's the uh the additional content that they pack these things with as well there's a lovely tribute to elizabeth sladen who played sarah jane smith in doctor who and a very moving interview with tom baker which i think they've had a little clip of that out online um so yeah definitely recommend if you can get hold of a copy of that it's well worth a look so that's it thank you very much to Lindsay. thank you for having me and thank you to eric thank you mark a pleasure as always and next time we're going to be looking at a bit of a classic 80s bbc sci-fi series called the tripods If you want to get in touch, you can email us at nerdologyuk at gmail.com or you can tweet us at nerdologyuk. We're also on Facebook, just type in Nerdology UK podcast. And also now you can leave your audio feedback. So there's a link in the show notes, you can click on that. Or uh, if you're on the Anchor website listening to the show, there is a little button that says message and you just click on that. And you can use your mobile phone or your computer and you can leave an audio message.